Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Last night, I took the opportunity to uh, to reread portions of an extraordinary book of Kennedy's and King's Making Sense of the 60s. I did so in anticipation of welcoming back to the program former United States Senator Harris Wofford. Senator, good morning, sir, and thank you for making time for us. Michael, I agree with everything you just said this morning. Uh, I think that's a good thing. This morning. Yeah, listen, I I reread last night portions of of Kennedy's and King's, and and, uh, just what a reminder of the extraordinary life that you, sir, have lived in in having had friendships with JFK, with with RFK, and with MLK. And I want to focus everybody's attention today on 
on Robert F. Kennedy. It is, unfortunately, sadly, the 40-year anniversary of his assassination. And, and my hunch is, Senator Wofford, that many who are listening to the two of us know remarkably little about him, and I was anxious to get some of your insights about uh, the life and times of RFK. Talk to me about what is at the top of your list when you think about this great man. Well, I first think how badly we needed him in that sad spring of, of 1968. The country was divided. We were in a war that the majority by then thought we shouldn't be in, but no one knew how to get out. Uh, the civil rights revolution was uh, seemed to be stalled at that moment. Uh, and, and Robert Kennedy, uh, I remember above all the pain, the, 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 the agony in a sense he went through in deciding to run, uh, and, and how he finally was tough enough. In, in that sense, to do it, despite the fact McCarthy, Gene McCarthy had gone in earlier, he felt that he was the one person who could bring us together. And I, I think we're at a time very much like that, as you know. But, but Robert Kennedy um, had a had a power and a passion then that, um, in, in my case, it was ironic that uh, in the beginning of the 60s, he thought I was too emotional and committed to civil rights and to Martin Luther King. And, and by the time he was killed at the... And end of, toward the end of the 60s, uh, he was more passionately committed to ending that war, ending poverty, and ending racial discrimination uh, than anyone in our public life. Do you attribute that, Senator Wofford, to the experience of uh, having experienced his brother's assassination? I, indeed, I do. You know, he, like his brother, uh, more or less, uh, his brother's words when asked, are you a liberal or conservative, said, I hope I'm responsible in the active sense of the word respond, responding to the facts as they are. And his change, his transformation was was response to the facts as they were, one after another civil rights crisis in the South, uh, where they had to go into action at a time they would rather be dealing with the, with the Berlin Wall or the crisis with Khrushchev, and uh, he responded. He was a responder. Uh, you, you didn't have to worry what the spin was going to be. You, you wanted to know what Robert Kennedy was next going to say. And, you know, the night that that Martin Luther King was killed, uh, everybody who was on, on television watching that night knew that he had been killed, but Robert Kennedy went into that crowd in Indianapolis of African Americans largely and told them the news in a way that, in a sense, you'll never forget. You see him there on, in the Kennedy Library or when uh, the media repeats it uh, without notes, with the wind blowing, uh, telling them about Martha Luther King's assassination and calling on the end to violence of that kind and speaking so simply and so directly and so strongly. I happen to have that speech, and in a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm going to cue it up, so I'm, I'm so glad that you made reference to it. RFK, Harvard-educated as an undergrad, University of Virginia Law School. He joined the Senate Subcommittee on Investigations under the tutelage of uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy, and then resigned because of disagreements that he had with Senator McCarthy's anti-communist campaign against federal officials. And yet RFK, a strident anti-communist of his own, particularly relative to uh, Fidel Castro. Yeah, well, he was tough, and 
he, you know, he wanted peace, but the people in Indi the Indiana primary who had supported George Wallace, the Southern segregationist, uh, uh, blue-collar workers, uh, they were called in Indiana who had supported Wallace, they voted for Robert Kennedy in that upset primary uh, because they, they knew he was a fighter and he was tough, but they didn't think he was going to be pushed around. He wasn't viewed as a soft liberal. Uh, he came through as an original. And, and among those, Senator Wofford, with whom RFK tangled, Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> he certainly did. He, 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 but he, when I first knew him in 1957, uh, it was organized crime and the mafia, and Hoffa, uh, uh, in, in his connection to that, and labor's corruption where, 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 where uh, uh, organized crime had reached into labor, and communism, and, and at home or abroad, were his two main interests. Uh, his his interests broadened so greatly with responsibility. His greatest moment, uh, aside from his own last campaign in '68, was in the Cuban Missile Crisis, when, in the midst of uh, the geopoliticians and the generals and the tough guys, um, it was only Robert Kennedy in the strategy session on what to do with the discovery that there were Soviet missiles being installed in Cuba. Uh, he was the one that asked the moral question, which was a tough thing to do. Uh, he's the one that said, can we have, can we do to Castro and to Cuba what Tojo and the Japanese did to us at Pearl Harbor? And he's the one that turned the tide in those discussions the way that I think his brother, the president, wanted. But, but without Robert Kennedy there to press that point, that they wouldn't have led to the kind of tough diplomacy that he then actually led in bringing about a peaceful settlement on the withdrawal of those missiles from Cuba. And what's significant about RFK in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis, from my reading of your book of Kennedys and Kings, is that to your eye, and, and you had this close relationship with both Kennedy brothers and with MLK, RFK was the one that you found to be rather impulsive, arrogant, and quote-unquote battle-prone, and yet in that moment he, you found him to be reflective and a cool head. Yes, and, and uh, I think that... And, I think he had changed by that time uh, imperceptibly, but by the responsibility of of being the attorney general. And but then looking at the atomic abyss, he looked at it hard. He faced it, and he said, "We have to try everything in our power to get a peaceful way out of this." And now we know that we came very close. Uh, the documents from the Soviet Union and the rest that have been dis discovered since the Stalinist era ended, we, we know that we came perilously close to the Russians being prepared themselves to strike. If we had, if we had started a first strike, uh, we would have been hit, and uh, we would have been off to World War III. Our special guest is Senator Harris Wofford. His book of Kennedys and Kings today, the 40-year, sad, sadly, the 40-year anniversary of the assassination of, of RFK. Senator Wofford, when JFK is assassinated, RFK is still in the cabinet. He's attorney general. He, he doesn't get along so well with President Johnson. Consequently, in 1964, he resigns from the federal cabinet and then pursues and wins the Senate seat from New York. 
1966, he's now a critic of President Johnson's domestic programs and the ongoing war in Vietnam. And ultimately, although some would say late, he jumps into the 1968 presidential primary. Would you speak to us about that particular experience? He, he gets in, he defeats Eugene McCarthy in Indiana, and the Nebraska primaries then loses Oregon in May, ultimately wins South Dakota and California, and, of course, that's the fateful day 40 years ago. Yes, well, I am, I'm glad that when he, at the end of the long, silent march in Atlanta after Martin Luther King was killed, uh, turned turned to me and said, come up to my hotel suite for a moment, please. And I did, and he came in and with his both steely and warm eyes looked at me and said, uh, I, I need you to campaign for me in California. I know you've just started a, n a new college and its responsibilities, the presidency there. Can you take leave and come and campaign for me in California? And it was very hard to say no to Robert Kennedy, and I'm, I'm so glad I said yes. Uh, you know, people have said how lucky, as you were saying, how lucky I was to have had uh, John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King as people I worked for, marched with, fought, believed in. Um, and, and when a press, a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter, uh, when I was running for the Senate here, uh, said how lucky you were, I said some luck. The three people that meant the most to me in my, in public life, uh, were all three killed, and I, I tracked her down afterwards and said, please don't quote me on that. Of course I was lucky. We were all lucky to have them. And uh, Ethel Kennedy, who was, uh, you, as you may know, campaigning in, in Pennsylvania for Barack Obama, uh, was, was saying how lucky she was to be around when someone who represented what her husband was for and what he was like uh, that, that brought her for the first time uh, that I, I know of into, into extraordinary action to try to say, you know, what, what he stood for, we have again a chance. Uh, I know I'm uh, uh, jumping, but I, I'm jumping to this just because uh, the, the number one thing I think on the day that he was killed is how badly we need someone like him, and, and I see a great deal of him in, in Barack Obama, as you know. Where were you 40 years ago today, Senator Wofford, when it happened? When it happened, I had just gone to sleep um, because it was clear I didn't need surrogates uh, the last couple of days in California. There was just this huge surge of people responding to him, and that's all people wanted. So I came home to my, to my family and to the work and uh, was wakened, and it was, it was something that you couldn't... You couldn't believe it would happen again. And I, I think that this, the thing that connects us to today is that uh, after John Kennedy's killing, it, there was not a great depression of the spirit because Lyndon Johnson did pick up the torch and with great skill and, and effectiveness um, moved the civil rights bills to action, started the war on poverty until he got into this other war in Vietnam. And people's hopes were high and Martin Luther King's hopes grew higher. Um, but after both Martin Luther King and Robert were killed, I think a depression of the spirit set in in this country. It got compounded by the war going on for another four years. About and, and secondly, uh, Watergate and, and Nixon's collapse. Um, we've had ups and downs since then, but 
I, I have a sense that 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 depression of the spirit uh, may be really finally lifting from us uh, in this country right now. In your book of Kennedys and Kings, there's a, a chapter which is titled "The Agony of Robert Kennedy," and uh, I guess the way in which I would paraphrase or, or sum up the chapter is is you wonder whether he was a tortured soul in the aftermath of his brother's assassination. Uh, quote, had he and his brother, by unleashing the forces of counterinsurgency against Castro, started a process that led finally to the president's own assassination? I recognize, Senator Wofford, you wrote this book in 1980, but what essentially you're saying is that Robert Kennedy perhaps was wondering if in some way he'd played a, a causal role in the events that ultimately took the life of his brother. And then in your book, you deal with some of the conspiracy theories that have existed over time. How, how in 2008 do you look at that issue? The issue being how RFK looked at the assassination of his brother and whether he wondered if his own conduct had played a role. Right. Months that Robert Kennedy did agonize over whether his role had, uh, and I'm, I'm one of those who's quite convinced that he didn't know about the plot to kill Castro. Uh, he learned about it in the spring of of 1962. Um, he he uh, didn't know, but he knew he had been pressing the State Department, the CIA, and everyone to get Castro in some way, not to kill him. But to get him, he was, I think, appalled when he learned that under Eisenhower they had started this effort to kill Castro and they had hired the mafia, the very people he was trying to persecute, to do, to do the killing. Uh, but he knew that he had been pressing and pressing and pressing, we've got to get this man. And... and uh, and all kinds of evidence now would have clearly shows that it was deeply on his mind that in some way, it, whether it was Castro knowing it and striking back, or whether it was the the CIA wild ones that were 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 furious with John Kennedy for not going into battle and supporting the invasion of of, of, of Cuba and a, and an airstrike. Uh, or, or he, he worried deeply and he walked long walks. Um, so yes, I think that it's part of the transformation that, you know, when, when everything he had focused on and believed in, uh, namely his brother's administration and the new frontier was crumbling after the assassination, um, I think that's a great part of the transformation in Robert Kennedy. In fact, it's a real privilege. The Cuban Missile Crisis was an, a, another form of realizing that violence in, in the world one had to find ways to try to subdue, and those were, of course, great words. Extemporaneously, there in Indianapolis that night when he told the country about the the loss of Martin Luther King. I'm going to play that tape now. Senator Wofford, thank you so much for uh, gracing us with your presence and reminiscing about uh, your friend who left this earth 40 years ago today. Uh, I look forward to having you back in the studio soon. Thank you. Senator Harris Wofford, by the way, the book of Kennedys and Kings, an extraordinary read. This is the RFK speech to which Senator Wofford was just referring.
could you lower those signs, please? I have some very sad news for all of you, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings. He died in the cause of that effort. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. For those of you who are black, considering the evidence evidently is that there were white people who were responsible, you can be filled with bitterness and with hatred and a desire for revenge. We can move in that direction as a country and greater polarization black people amongst blacks and white amongst whites filled with hatred toward one another. Or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand and to comprehend and replace that violence, that stain of bloodshed that is spread across our land with an effort to understand and compassion and love. For those of you who are black and are tempted to be filled with hatred and mistrust. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.